Hello, 49ers fans. I hope everyone's recovered from Sunday, if that's possible. It's 49ers fangirl with SoCali staff. Hi, staff. Hi, Tracy. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just uh, excited because I booked my tickets for the Bengals game, and I'm recovering because I just came back from Seattle. So, you know, I'm glad to be home. I'm glad to be... Just relaxing a little bit, but so upset about how they performed against the Browns on Sunday. That was quite upsetting. It was it was horrible, and it was as if they were so busy patting themselves on the back for having barely beat the Browns only because of two missed field goals that they forgot that they had another game to play. And that is slightly disconcerting because how a 4-8 and eight team can yeah. ever think that they can take anything lightly I just I don't understand it was it was pretty dismal I think dismal is the best word I can use for that well I think there were misreports too or miss I don't know how to say it but there were different reports based on what had happened I mean Mm -hmm. the player said that we underestimated the rounds because of who they were and then you had Tom Sled come out and say no no we didn't as an underestimate team. So I think the mixed messages were even more disconcerting because it's yep. like, are you guys playing together or is this, you know, what's going on here? So I think it's just disconcerting either way. If they, if they totally had just not concerned themselves with the Browns because they thought they could beat them, sure. You know, there's a hundred things you could say, what's wrong with that? Because it's still an NFL game. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if it's the players saying this and then you have the staff saying something else, then you have a, a very big difference of opinion there and it shows that the team's not united. So either way, it's not exactly, you know, it doesn't inspire confidence. And I think for the first time, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, I'd be interested to hear what you think, but I felt like for the first time you kind of heard the players, and maybe just a specific player, I don't want to say call it a coaching decision, but a little bit call out the coaches, because I guess Tom Sula had said, we had great energy all week in practice, and Uh Joe Staley said, I don't care about what we have all week, I care about what we have on Sunday. And And it's not... You know, it's not a flat-out disagreement or calling out of a coach, but it's the first time I've heard anybody kind of um, differ with Tom Sula in that way. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and if you're going to get a player to do that, it's going to be Joe Staley. He's kind of a no-nonsense, like it is player. And I think he has every right to be frustrated and on several levels because he's basically the only one out there mm-hmm. on, his, on his end, you know, on the OL, trying to do his job. And I think he's done his best trying to put together this makeshift offensive line. And, yeah, in practice it's one thing, but on the field it's a whole other thing. I mean... Especially when you have teams that can read you, teams that are better than your practice squad, and the teams that are going against you in practice. It's just it's just not the same thing. And I was definitely on the opinion of Staley there, and I think he had every right to voice that frustration as a player. 
Because here his job is on the line, his salary is on the line, mm-hmm. his reputation's on the line, and it's, it's not fair to him going forward if the coaching staff doesn't make certain, you know, concessions about what happened. And we've been hearing this every week, all year long. We had a great, we had great practices. Mm-hmm. Everyone was so focused. We had yeah. such great energy. I don't know what happened. We practiced too well to play like that. Like it's the same story every single week. So if it's frustrating to a fan, I can't imagine how frustrating it is to the guys who go out there literally risking like life and limb. I mean, not to be dramatic, but it's a tough but game. They do. But they yeah. really do. And we've seen, I think, what nine 49ers have gone on IR this year so and Alex Moon's not going on IR but he's not playing the rest of the season so you know it's got to be really really frustrating to them and I look at players like Anquan Bolden and Navarro Bowman and Joe Staley who are strong veterans of the game who are playing their hearts out and I just I hate to blame everything on coaching but they're I just feel like the team looks unprepared every week. That's what it is. They just don't look like they're prepared to play in any of these games. And that is coaching. That is like 100% coaching. And I just feel like it's got to be frustrating for these kind of guys who have worked so hard. And now like this is what they're dealt week after week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the caliber of players, and I'm not saying on every aspect, but on a lot of aspects, we have really good caliber players. And I think if you put those same players on another team, I think they would succeed. Mm-hmm. And it's scary because here they are trying their best. They are putting their careers on the line. They're putting their paychecks on the line. They're putting you know, everything on the line for the team. And at some point you want the team to be able to back them up too. And it's not fair to always say, well, you know, yeah, we had a great practice, but we didn't do it today. So it puts it all back on the players. And as a player's perspective, I can see why that would get frustrating. And and it obviously has been frustrating. Otherwise, they wouldn't have vocalized it. So, you know, I get it from, you know, being a competitor. And it's not like they don't want to win. They do want to win. But so many variables in the game have to happen perfectly and it seems to me that the coaching is the only one that isn't taking responsibility here and even though Tom Sula every single week stands up there and says it starts with me well great but like he doesn't give any answers and he doesn't say what he's going to do next he doesn't give a clear direction for the team he just says oh yeah I came across my table and you know what that excuses like tired and over with he needs to actually direct it honestly and be forthright and say what went wrong and tell us about those plays because that's gonna what that's gonna what is that's what wins fans over when you tell us exactly how it went wrong when it went wrong and why it didn't work not just oh i take the blame yeah you know it just i feel like every week he's just falling on this you know proverbial sword because that's what he's been directed to do and it just means less and less every week yeah we we know it starts with you fix it or what are you going to do or you're not capable maybe he's not capable of fixing it which that's 
another issue. You know, maybe he's really just not. And I don't like even mean that necessarily unkindly, even though I think it sounds unkind. I do think Jim Tom Sula was put in a very impossible situation. Granted, a situation he wanted, mm-hmm. I imagine, but an impossible situation. And you know what? There is a reason that people spend tend to spend time as coordinators and in other positions before they take a head coaching job. And so I think we're seeing the Tom Sula experiment is not going well. I, I, I've said before, and I do think it's true. It is hard to judge a first time head coach on one season, but it's lack of preparation. They don't look prepared. Every game looks like they go out there and like, Oh, what is that a football? Or was he going to throw that to somebody? Oh, <laughs> I mean, no, it's not that bad, but they look confused. They never yeah, look they prepared do. for their opponent. No, I mean, they, they know they're playing football, but they never look prepared for their opponent. And that is concerning. It's a young team if they were losing. And I know I've said this before, like a million times, if they were just losing, okay. But there's no, they don't seem to be pre- prepared properly. And that is con- concerning. I mean, after that Seattle game, Eric Reed said he didn't know who Thomas Rawls was before the game. I'm sorry. What? How does that happen? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And that's, you know, that's lack of preparation. I don't put that on Eric Reed necessarily. Um, I mean, I guess it's a little on Eric Reed, but it's also on, but that also means that he wasn't a factor in preparation. Um, and I do, yeah, that is somewhat on, that is on Eric Reed too, but there's not a, there's a myriad of issues there. Um, so that's just disconcerting. And I mean, also, so as it turns out, it wasn't all caps fault. So there's that. Right. <laughs> it turns out, um, it's not a one man show. Uh, yeah. And I mean, obviously it's not, and we've seen some good and some bad from Gabbert. And I think people thought that that was going to be the end all be all. And it's just not that simple. No. And it's really interesting. I think that we have a, a lot of good young talent on the 49ers. And one of those, and especially in defense, like Arms said, like mm-hmm. he, oh, yeah. he looks good. And I'm not saying he's perfect, but I think he, he looks really good in his rookie season. And I think... His ability to gain leverage against the right tackle is pretty amazing, considering you know you're playing in the pros. Mm-hmm. And and here he is, is, he stands out good. He's inconsistent and he's not perfect. This is his rookie season, and I think it's really neat to see that he can potentially learn from this. But mm-hmm. what I'm scared of is is there anybody to direct him in that way, like to direct him to be the person that we want him to be. And I think we are more geared defensively, so I think Mangini and Tom Slut definitely have that edge. I just fear that it's all one-sided, and with the offense, I think they think how it's going to be, not necessarily how it will be, and it just seems very disconnected and not moving as a team. It's like, here's what we can do. Here's what I can show you. This is what I can do. But they definitely do not have a coaching unit, a coaching unit that can work together, that can form both the offense and defense and work together, Mm -hmm. play on the strengths, 
play on those weaknesses, you know, and work together. And I think that's what's frustrating as a fan. And, you know, this was one of the most boringest games I've ever watched in my life. And I love the 49ers, but it's just almost embarrassing to see the product out there. I love them to death. I love everything about the 49ers, but it was embarrassing to watch that. Oh, it was... It was just awful. And this is a week, you know, there have been so many weeks where we've said, like, gosh, the offense played, well, I don't know that we've ever said they played really well, but the offense has had had a good week, and had the defense just performed better, you know, they would have won. Or this week, the defense was really, really good, and if the offense had just performed better, they would have won. They would have won. This week, everybody was awful. Yeah. So they did that as a unit. I'll give them that. <laughs> this week, as a team. Oh my God. But they were all terrible. And, you know, Gabbert got sacked nine times, and that wasn't all on the offensive line by any means. No. Um, everybody yeah, had a hand in that. And um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. At this point, I just, I want this season to end because it's like, it's like a mercy rule thing. I'm just worried that, like, someone else is going to get really hurt. And it's just, I feel like that's the only thing that can happen these next three games, and hopefully nobody does. But it's just, it's in embarrassing and it's embarrassing but I do I mean so I'm the you know I'm a former competitor and I understand what it takes for competitors to win and sometimes that is when you are in the losing season you make the best out of that losing season so the way I kind of this is in my head and it's totally supposition but I do think they're prepping Armstrong Armstrong for the yeah, I'm sad. Sorry for the Justin Smith role. Mm-hmm. Now, whether he will be able, you know, to double team, like take that, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But I do think they're giving him a little bit more than he can handle to see exactly what he can handle. And he does, you know, it's big for him to potentially learn a new move. You know, adding to his past rush arsenal. We don't know what they're planning to do in the offseason so it's good to see him to develop his skill Mm -hmm. and even if he doesn't necessarily do it right 100% I do see that just based on what they're having him do and then it makes it a little bit more clear to me that he's going to be the replacement for Justin Smith I mean to me like it's crystal clear Mm -hmm. so it's kind of neat to see that juxtaposition of the changes and I do think that it's going to be interesting to see how he does it will he ever be a Justin Smith I don't think so but I think he's going to find a way to be as productive as he can and that's why they picked him the first round and the 49ers have always been you know defense oriented so that all made sense to me so even though that was a really hard game to watch I really saw some good things in it and I know that's hard for 49ers fans to, like, digest, but I was excited in a couple of ways, and that was one of them. Well, that's – I think that's that's good, and I like that positive attitude. Um, and the other person I am excited about, and it, and even though he also is not perfect um, and has work to do, is Joukowsky Tart. Mm. Because I actually – He's so cute. He's, well, <laughs> I mean – and that so, my favorite. <laughs> I just I just think he is great and he plays tough and he has like he has like flashes of 
I'm, I'm not going to go brilliance, but he's got some really great flashes. He hits hard. He hits hard, and I think it, very similar to Armstead. You know, he's a rookie, and no, he's not perfect, but you can see where he's going. So mm-hmm. I will say that he is also fun to watch, and he I'm excited about him. Um, I'm just concerned for the future. But I have to believe, and maybe this is just me being delusional again, but I have to believe that the offseason is going to bring some pretty massive changes somewhere, whether whether it be in the offensive coaching staff. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. A week ago, I would have said Tom Sula definitely gets another year. If they lose the next three games the way they lost Sunday, then I don't know. Um, So I guess that remains to be seen. But I have to believe that there's going to be an overhaul on the offensive coaching staff. I mean, I think it's hard in that I don't know who they're going to get to come because – I don't know how many people are knocking down their doors to be the offense, the offensive coordinator for the 49ers. Um, but I have to believe there are going to be some major changes. I would be willing, I mean, again, not that anyone's asking my opinion or that I have input in this, but if it were me, I, I might be willing to give Mangini another year. I think he's got a young team, and it's been up and down, but I could see them giving him another year. Yeah, I think on the offensive side, I just think it's been such a disaster, no matter who is there. Um, so, I don't know. I have an interesting question for you. Well, I think it's an interesting question. We'll see if you think it's an interesting question. Okay. But let's let's pretend, um, and it may not be pretend, it's probably relatively likely that Gabbert and the next three games are like the last game. Do you think there's any chance Kaepernick's back in San Francisco next year? I don't think Kaepernick wants to be back next year. Um, however, I said that, I think that if there is no other option, I do think that they make it run with it. It's completely up to the... You know, if you want to call it the exact side, you know, mm-hmm. and everything, because they'd be paying essentially $11, 12000000 million for a backup, if not, if not. So I think they either let him go, which is what I think will happen, mm-hmm. or they go with Bell, you know, or they go with um, Gabbert. Gabbert. Sorry, I was trying to think of his first name. Anyway, Blaine. Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert. So they go with him. But I don't think that he's shown, you know, brilliance. I think he's gotten through games. I think he can make way through games. But I, I, I've not seen anything that's convinced me of that he's, you know, the starter. So I, I like to believe that they still believe in Colin Kaepernick. I'm not positive. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. I tend to think that they're willing to let him go at the highest offer on a trade. Mm-hmm. And even if they take a hit on that trade, I think they're willing to take the difference so they get dropped otherwise. Because I don't think Kaepernick works well in our system, in the no. 49ers or, you know, system. Not saying that Kaepernick couldn't work well in another situation with the right coaches. Because this is obviously a point where with Harbaugh, he got a lot further, and everyone can talk, tell me about the read option, but we didn't use the read option up 
I mean, we didn't use the read option for a long time after the first season. Mm-hmm. So it's not all about the read option. It's not all about him. The, the kid can run. The kid has different ways to go about it. And he can definitely, like, he's a threat not only on the run game, but he's a threat over the field. So if he can get that right with the right coaching, I do think he's a threat. If he gets on the trading block, I think absolutely. he Or even the free agent block, he's the hottest free agent oh. quarterback ever. He will definitely be because, plus, the state of quarterbacking in the NFL, there aren't that many really great quarterbacks. And whether and even though he's had he had a bad season, and last year yeah. he had an okay-ish season, we've seen what he can do. And mm-hmm. so I think that's very true. It's interesting. I talked to, as you know, Joe Montana the other day, uh, and he made a you know an interesting comment, kind of like what you said about how. Um, if, if they're going to keep him in this system, he said, now he said if they're going to keep him in the system, then they got to be more towards the read option, which is where he came from. And he said something very interesting. He said that you can't, which I think we know, you can't teach pocket passing at this level. Yeah. And he said, but unfor- and he said this, unfortunately, college and high school coaches are teaching this kind of skill set, and it's not really teaching quarterbacking. And I thought that was an interesting way to put it Hmm. and from his person i thought his perspective you know was kind of interesting in that i mean he's joe montana he knows a thing or two about quarterbacking (laughs) (laughs) he knows a thing or two about quarterbacking and i just i just thought it was i thought it was an interesting perspective what i found most interesting is how he said that unfortunately college coaches and high school coaches are teaching more of a read option skill set and not really teaching people how to be a quarterback. And I found that to be a very, I found that to be the most interesting part because I think we all agree that Cap's skill set is different than what they were running, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I don't know. I just thought that was very interesting that that's kind of what's being taught now and that's where the trend is. Um, And he does not necessarily think that's a good thing, which I thought was interesting. And that could be true, but this is what's funny about it is, Say what you want about style or you know type of quarterbacking or run game or whatever. Is that Colin Kaepernick probably got as far as any quarterback wish they could get, and that's to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that it can't work. It just needs to work under the right system. And I think that there's the problem it's a frustrating problem because it's like they don't have the quarterbacking the offensing offensive scheme with the right system here at, in San Francisco I don't mean that that to be that he can't go anywhere else and it wouldn't work but I think that's entirely up to you know the coaching and the scheme and all of the other things that go along with it. But I don't think Colin's right for the 49ers anymore, only because I don't think it's a right fit. Mm-hmm. But I think he could definitely go somewhere else and I think he could be very frustrating to teams and I think he could create a lot of damage. Oh, 100%. 100%. It'll be, um, it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. where he ends up and where it all turns out. And, you know, in terms of Blaine Gabbard, I've vacillated back and forth quite often, but I kind of feel at this point, he's all he has shown me 
is that he is a very adequate backup quarterback. Yeah. I do not really care for him. Like, he's okay and at this juncture. Like, if he wins a game, great. If not, okay. Like, I don't <laughs> care either way. And, you know, you can show me a great, you know, pass here and there, but it doesn't mean that you're an NFL quarterback. And I have not seen enough from Blaine Gabbert. I just haven't. And the way I stand on it is, like, I'm, I'm just pretty – you know, and I'm just unimpressed. So I'm not saying that I can't be impressed by him, but at this juncture, I don't see the difference. And especially considering that Cap was injured, played injured. You know, yeah, I, you know, part of me wants the 49ers to come to their senses and let him get well and give him another shot. But I don't blame Kaepernick for going elsewhere because, you know, if my company didn't want me, I'd be like, well, I'll see you later. I'm going to go get and explore my best option. Well, and Nolly didn't want you, but tried to make everybody else, tried to justify their decision <laughs> to everybody else to make them dislike you for reasons that have nothing to do with your ability to quarterback. I mean, so. Right. I uh, mean, so I don't blame him. And, you know, I do wish the best for people. I love my team. I love my team. Unfortunately, it's hard and it's stressful and heart-wrenching. It is. I love my team, and I'm going to stick by that team. But, you know, I also think that Kaepernick is a star person. I think he's 100% a good man. Mm -hmm. And if anyone wants to challenge me on true merit or something that they really know of not just how he perceives or is Mm -hmm. perceived challenge me on that face to face and I will I will challenge I'll take that challenge in any second because he's a good person and a good being and I'm really glad that people like Colin Kaepernick are on this earth and play you know Football aside, he's a good person, and I don't think he deserves the criticisms he gets. No, he does not, and he really is a good human being who does really wonderful things in the community and wonderful things with children and is so just committed to his family and and speaks out when he feels it's appropriate on on issues that are important. Um, actually, Tim Kawakami wrote an article on it today, and he's... He that was is a good one. It was a really, really good one. And I was just so happy that something came out there about Colin Kaepernick, the man, and not Colin Kaepernick and his headphones. Like, it just was yeah. a, a much, I'm real, I was really, really glad to see that because I think he is a really good, special person. And somehow this perception of him has gotten out there and, and I don't like it one bit. Um, so, so there's that. There was another interesting article today. Um, Scott Osler wrote about whether or not the Yorks would ever sell the 49ers. Um, it was actually, it was very well written. It was interesting. Uh, I don't think that the Yorks are selling the 49ers anytime soon, if ever, but it brought up a few interesting points. Yes. I read the article and and yeah, it was, it, raised my eyebrows and mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought there were a few interesting points in, that were made um, 
do I believe that the Yorks are selling? Absolutely not. Like, it's insane to me to think that a billionaire, it's because it is worth billions. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. two point, maybe two, $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And in the NFL, that's a, that's overpriced. So if the 49ers were to sell it all, they'd have to sell hugely overpriced with a really bad football team with a good stadium and they would have a certain amount of SBL holders that are on the brink of Mm -hmm. like letting go of all their licenses, which means that you would have to take your fans to court. Mm -hmm. Yeah. None of this sounds particularly attractive Uh, to a buyer and not to mention, I don't think the Yorks have any interest in selling, but something that he did bring up, um, and you know, we've talked about this offline is that Denise York owns this team. Oh yeah. Jed York is the CEO of this team. And that's a pretty important distinction. Yeah. And I think people forget that. I mean, just because your parents own something and you're responsible for answering it from see, Denise has never, ever wanted any kind of fame. In fact, after the whole, like Eddie DeBartolo thing, she could have come forward to the press. She never once came forward to the press. That is not her thing. She does not want to be famous. She does not want to be noticed. Mm -hmm. And she still took it. And then she had her husband do it and do certain things, but he was, still MIA for most of the things and he was acting controller but he was not in front as you would think an owner would be he tried his best and I do you know and, and people can disagree with me all they want but I do think the four, the Yorks want the 49ers to play well they definitely do and it's only in their best business interest that they do so, I've seen Jed York's pass out rally towels in Seattle, and I've seen Jed York do this, and I've seen him do that for all the fans, and I do think he does care about fans. I've also seen Jed York, who has given fan contests via Twitter and via Facebook and all these things, because I do think he cares about the fans. He's frequently talks about the faithful. He had a, his PR people come up with this whole faithful series. It's very good PR, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he is keyed in onto something about the 49ers fan base, and that is this, it's the people that really care about the team and keep it going. So I don't think that he's, like, wants to lose and is, like, trying to make the team, you know, just just take a nosedive. I just think he is either following the direction of his mother or he's too proud to admit his mistakes. Either way, it's not pleasant, but I think that explains a little bit. Well, and also he is... um a first-time owner and, or excuse me, a first-time CEO of a football team. And, (laughs) excuse me, I do think there's a little learning that comes from that. And as he matures, he may do things differently. He may choose to 
I mean, I don't really know what his relationship with his uncle is and how much advice he gets from him, but um, let's assume by the looks of things, maybe he's not getting that much advice from him. And he that may change in time. I mean, I think a little bit, you know, is maturity he can't. I mean, and like, learning. Technically, he can't get advice from someone that's been barred from the NFL because of the gambling thing. Like, well, he can't. He can't bring him on. I don't think in an official capacity. But I don't think that I. I could be wrong about this, but I think he could call him for uncle Probably. advice. I think he. I think he can call him for uncle advice. I don't think he couldn't bring him on in any sort of official sure. capacity. But fair enough. Um. So, but I, you know, I think that that is part of it too. And I know a lot of people get mad about that and he's young. He doesn't deserve the team. Well, you know what? That's life. His parents own the team and they put him in charge. Like it is what it is. Uh, and then that's life. And, you know, Scott Osler said in the article today, if his parents gave him a football team, he would have gladly taken it. And I would too. And, uh, you know, like, I wouldn't be like, no, I don't think so. Um, maybe I'd handle things differently, but then maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. It hasn't, it hasn't happened. It's not going to. So we'll never know. Um, but um, I, I just said it was an interesting piece, but I don't see them selling it anytime soon. The only thing I could see potentially happening is if Denise decided that there needed to be some sort of changes and she directed Jed to make them. Um, but again, it's a lot of conjecture and speculation and who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. We're not there. Yeah. And he got a lot of heat this past week and I, I felt eh, a little sorry about what I published about what I knew about Prague and his rise to fame. But at the same time, it was eye-opening, and I think people didn't realize how much control he had, and perhaps his mother didn't. And I do think that Prague is BFFs with Jed York. Fine. I think he trusts him. I think he's his most trusted confidant. And I'm totally down with being having that trusted confidant I just wish that there was direction and you'd say, I think this is the way we're going to go. This is the way of the future. This is what we have to do. And this is the way the 49ers are going. I think what frustrated fans is that they couldn't give us a direction. They couldn't give us a direction either way. We had no clue who this guy was. It was a contract guy. He was a numbers guy and contracts, you know, and I think that's what frustrated people. And then and once it was exposed that they were so close, I think I think it was eye-opening, probably not open, just to fans, but to everyone. And that may have included his mother. Yeah, it very well may have. And so that may be the first move that we see her say, we're going to make some changes here. Yeah. I don't think it's... I definitely don't think it's Jed making that change. No, I don't think so either. I would agree. Okay. Well, fans, we have really big, exciting news. Hold on to your hats <laughs> because SoCali Steph and I are going to Sunday's game together. So, uh, you know, watch out Levi's Stadium because you're going to have SoCali Steph and 49ers fangirl sitting together, tweeting cheering, 
periscoping, vining. The possibilities are truly endless. Keep your phones charged. It's going to be epic. I mean, the game will probably be terrible, but we will be epic. Because you know what? We just can't quit you, 49ers. We just can't quit you. And, hey, Colin Kaepernick, we're going to try to get a picture with you. <laughs> Look for us, Colin. Colin. <laughs> um, well, everybody, I think uh, there's so much to look forward to. So much to look forward to on Sunday. So hold on to your phones. Keep them charged. Check your Twitter. We'll be there. Go Niners. Go Niners. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.